Welcome to Michael Easley in Context. You are joining us on a very important program today. Dr. Christopher Yuan in studio with me today. Christopher, thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again. So great to see you. Author of Out of a Far Country, which came out in 2000... 2011. Okay. Yeah, that was with my mom, my memoir, and then my newest one, 2018, end of 2018. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the first one, because some folks may not know that story, which was kind of adapted into a movie. (laughs) Well, okay, well... Sort of? No, the book, so Chris Fabry, you're talking about... Prayer Warrior, or uh, Prayer Closet, or uh, War Room. Room. Yes. We'll get there in a minute. Yes. We actually... Didn't research any of this, as you can tell. I'm just throwing these questions at him because of the fabric of our relationship. Yes. No, it's a war room. Kendrick Brothers wrote and produced that, but it was then turned into a book, which Chris Fabry uh, novelized that book, and then Chris Fabry dedicated the book to my mom. Got it. Yeah, so Got it's it. a little roundabout, and I don't know if I would say the Kendrick Brothers. The Kendrick Brothers did not know my mom, but Chris Fabry did. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So for those of you that don't know what we're just talking about, so if you don't know Christopher's story, you can go back. We have earlier podcasts. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but you've had quite a story before you came to Christ. Uh, you spent a little time in prison, and it was your mother who prayed for you daily for hours. I still remember, I think I was at a different church, but I think your mom and you brought the little post-its, Yes, if I remember correctly. Yes, it was a, like a ticker tape from a calculator that my mom just said, first thought, oh, just a little piece of scrap paper to write down her blessings. And it just, blessings after blessings after blessings. And this whole time, not like things were going good, they were going bad, but my mom still counted her blessings. And so, yes, it was a... And, and it was things like, Christopher didn't get mad at me today, right? <laughs> yeah, I or mean, no, yeah. He, uh, the first one was, I called home from prison. Yeah. That was a blessing. Why, you know, you're like, that's not a blessing. Well, it was for my mom because yeah. I never called home. Yeah. So for her, that was a blessing that I called home. Yes, it was from prison, but uh, <laughs> she actually, because she was a blessings list, said, you know, he just called home and he's in a safe place. Because, I mean, again, prison relative. isn't safe, relative, because when you don't know where your children are and they're out on the streets, that's not safe. But at least here, in a place where you know where they are. And so anyway, it was, yes, my mom counting her blessings. There, There is a, a an indelicate but important part of your story because I suspect anyone gets tired of telling their story yeah. uh, over and over again. For those that don't know you yet, mm-hmm. uh, you came out of a, a gay lifestyle, a very affluent gay lifestyle. You were, you were doing what you wanted to do and yeah. the way you wanted to do it. You ended up in prison. And it's through that experience that you came to Christ rather reluctantly. <laughs> That's right. right. Is that fair to say? Very much so. It was, you know, completely just God's grace. And yeah, I, I was not a Christian. We didn't own a Bible growing up. We didn't go to church growing up. And my parents raised me with very traditional Chinese values. I wrestled with my sexuality from a young age. And then I was actually exposed to pornography at nine years old. That, so that was kind of the, the first time that I realized that I had these attractions. But I didn't tell anyone, and then I came out in my early 20s, which today now is older, much older, because we're pushing it so hard in kindergarten and grade school. So that's why kids might be coming out or coming out with their sexuality or gender identity, whatever they're calling it, younger. But it was for me in my 20s, and I told my parents, and it was that crisis that brought my mother to faith and then my father. I was living in Louisville. I'm from Chicago and living in Louisville at that time. 
And I You were in dental school. At I the was time. in dental school at that time. My dad's a dentist and my brother's a dentist. And I came out, told my parents, they became my, my mom became a Christian miraculously, and then later my dad. And I went in the total opposite direction and I was doing what my friends were doing. And I was living it up. When you don't know God, you might as well have fun. You know, you only have one life. So I was living it up. I was partying, going out to the clubs, doing drugs, and I was selling drugs. I was expelled from dental school just three months before I was to receive my doctorate. Then I moved to Atlanta. There I just was doing what all my friends were doing. I was mm-hmm. doing what I knew how to do best, which was have fun. Mm-hmm. And I began not just selling drugs, but supplying drugs. And this whole time, my parents had no clue mm-hmm. that I was on drugs or doing drugs. They just knew that I needed to know Christ because they were really growing in their faith. So they came to visit me one time in Atlanta because I wasn't calling home. I wasn't going home. So they came to visit me. And after the second day, I kicked them out. And the interesting thing was they were not preaching at me. They were not telling me I was living in sin. It doesn't mean I didn't know what they believe. I did know what they believe. They just weren't like telling me I was living in, you know, going to hell. None of that. Just that I saw Christ in them, that I saw the change in them, that was offensive to mm-hmm. me. And I told them to get out. Before my dad left, he gave me his Bible and I threw it in the trash can. Like I tell that because that just shows how I despised Christianity, how I despised God. Nothing in me, you know, like you said, I was not seeking God. Nothing in me wanted God, wanted anything mm-hmm. that they had. So they just prayed for a miracle. And one morning, fast forwarding quite a bit, you have a knock on the door yes. of your yep. After, home in Atlanta. So my, my mom prayed, you know, she fasted every Monday for seven years. She enlisted a hundred people to pray with her that God would do whatever it takes. A scary prayer. So that whatever came with a bang on my door, on my doorstep, 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, two big German shepherd dogs. So I found myself in jail. I was charged with a street value equivalent of 9.1 tons of marijuana. I didn't have any marijuana. I had mostly ice and crystal meth and kind of these designer drugs, but they were, you know, in comparison, much more valuable in drug money. In the federal, they always put everything, the common denominator, as marijuana. So I um, found myself in jail. And, what year um, was that? That was 1998, beginning of 1998. And you spent seven years? No, I was charged with six years. Okay. And my sentence was shortened to three. Okay. Yeah. So I found myself in jail. Uh, Three days after that, I found a Bible in the trash can. It was a Gideon's New Testament that someone had just thrown away. It wasn't in the Bible. So I began just reading the Bible, but not, you know, Michael, thinking, this is the answer. This is the way. (laughs) This is the way. Something to do. No, it was just something to do because at that time in jail, it wasn't in prison where you had more things to do. It was jail. So it was basically knocked down most of the time, nothing to do. And I just began reading it. First, God convicted me. Like, wait, the Bible is supposed to be good news. None of this is good news. I'm a sinner. You know, I read Romans 1. And you know that's so interesting because most people think, oh, you read Romans 1. So you saw that this is sin. You know, homosexuality is sin. That was not the thing that stood out. You know what was the thing that stood out? Toward the end, disobeying parents. Interesting. That was of all, I mean, you know, at the end, it's just yeah. sin after sin. It was just heaping up yeah. with all these sins, you know. And it was that. Because all my friends were gone. The only people that would even answer my call or visit me were my parents. Wow. So that, of all the things in Romans 1, 
It wasn't, there's a lot of sin listed right, there. Right. It was disobedient to parents. That, Isn't it interesting that, how, how the Word of God, uh, I hate the phrase, meets us where we are, but what we mean by that is, you know, whatever the soft spot is or the conviction or what God uses through his Holy Spirit to pull us to himself. Let's fast forward big time because yeah. I know you've told the story, and again, our friends can go back and listen to the podcast on In Context to hear the full story. Yes. I want to talk about what's happening today mm. because when you and I first began our friendship, and I think I had you speak at a church that I was involved with and on the podcast, we were talking about very different issues. Now we're talking about LGBTQAI question mark plus mark, this thing of race versus ethnicity has happened with the BLM movement, the idea of identity versus same-sex attraction, gender, sexual dysphoria. I mean, let's start with some definitions, first of all. Mm. Where, where would you want to start telling folks perhaps that aren't up to speed on the way nomenclature has been hijacked, sex versus gender? Yes. So sex versus gender. Just that in itself, 10 years ago, we would not have said that because sex and gender, essentially the same thing. If anything, when we talk about gender, gender was only spoken about in language, right? You're learning Greek Feminine and Hebrew. versus masculine. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Pronoun. When, so when we're talking about pronouns in language, when it comes to gender, what were we talking about? Well, is your pronoun matching the noun, right? In gender and number, etc. So, you know, if you know Spanish or French or not English, because English doesn't have uh, feminine nouns or masculine nouns as French does, or Greek or Hebrew. Spanish, yeah. Spanish does. Gender, that was basically, if we're going to differentiate between sex, that's what gender was about. But today, gender has a new definition. That's the best way to talk about it. It's the new definition. We don't have to agree with it, but it's just the way it is. Gender... Now, where gender and sex used to be synonymous, that meant man and woman. It was an objective category. Gender is not objective. That's probably one of the most important things. We need to realize it is not objective. It is subjective. Whereas sex is about a biological, objective, binary classification based on reproductive functions. A person is either male or female. Gender is not. It is a subjective self-perception about oneself. Uh, let me inject, too. We would not, even your definition of sex would be debated because if I self-identify as one of these new gender classifications, I mean, you can't open a news feed and not see men have menstrual cycles, men can lactate, men can have babies. So even this binary differentiation you mentioned is, I mean, the, the nomenclature has metastasized, Christopher, right. to where it's very difficult to know what someone means when they use these terms. Right. And I mean, at least to this point now, people are still differentiating between sex and okay. gender, but gender has so much usurped the discussion where... Gender, in essence, negates sex. That gender is the only thing that's important. Uh, one self-perception. And to love someone is to value their self-perception more than their biological sex. Because that's what's to be nice. I feel like nice has become the only virtue that we have today. Just be nice. And to be nice 
doesn't necessarily mean to be truthful. Well, it. It's it, even it, invaded in the church today, where the church is oh, the all they want to be nice. Yeah, the where church they're has not, lost this debate. We are on our heels in so many ways because we don't want to be unloving or unkind or intolerant or hateful, which have been throwing at us the last decade. And ergo, it's not even, I don't want to, quote, judge you or be unkind to you. It's, I must endorse. Right. I must affirm. Right. Uh, we've talked about this on occasion when Obergefell was passed the issue of religious freedom was soon to follow. It's not just bake the cake right. or make the flower arrangement. It's you must officiate the service. You must sanction whatever. And celebrate. And celebrate. Or you're a fascist, you're a Nazi. Right. Or we're going to close you down. Right, right. And, you know, I, I think, again, most Christians who would go to church, who love the Lord, who love the Bible, they're so afraid of this discussion. Yeah. They're, they don't know what to do. And... Unfortunately, not to be overstating it, but it becomes the church becomes hijacked to yes. these issues, and the average person who's trying to you know pay his mortgage, love his wife if it's a heterosexual relationship, raise their kids to love God and be good people, they don't even know how to begin this discussion, Christopher. That's right. And they go to their church on Sunday, and the church is affirming this or that, or celebrating this or that. The next thing you know, you know, I'm the dinosaur on the corner saying, no, X or Y. Yes. You're male or female. You're made in his image, not the cultural or yourself identifying image. Yes. What, what happened? How did this trend get ahead of us? I mean, I think it goes down to how we elevate our experience over truth. So this whole gender debate and transgenderism, gender dysphoria, the real issue actually, in my view, is not what is male or female. In my view, the real underlying issue is what is truth. Because truth to the world is what you feel, what you think. Therefore, that's why every person can have their truths. Right? There's no well, objective truth anymore. No, not at all. It is completely subjective. And drawing that line back, I mean, we follow that. That's how we've been living in postmodernity. That's what it's about. You know, existentialism, it's about your experience, living out your truth. Romantic period in the mid-1800s, you know, is about your emotions. So your emotions were the only thing that was true. Everything else is not. And when you get rid of God, you get rid of truth. When you get rid of God, you get rid of meaning and purpose and identity and who you are. And, so the, and the whole identity discussion is what's true for you. That's right. So now if there's no objective truth, I can define truth by my own terms, my own nomenclature, and I feel as a tomboy, I feel as a, a boy I like to dress up, I feel confused. I saw an interview with a woman recently, and she told her story, and it's not atypical anymore about these feelings she had as a child. She was, we would say today, bullied, but her experience, she didn't fit. She was awkward, ergo, maybe I'm a boy. Mm-hmm. And it's such an interesting culture in which we are, are trying to not be hateful or, quote, judgmental, close quote, but we're trying to say, no, there is something that's true. That's right. Yep. And your experience, you said it well. I mean, I'm fighting this in a different way, Christopher, in our local church. Experience is theology today. Right. Yep. Yeah. Not the truth of this big book. No. How I feel about this, I feel triggered. I feel unsafe. I feel threatened. I feel judged. Never mind that there might be some guilt and shame we need to talk about. Because I feel this way, I must run away and redefine the terms. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's 
I call it, it's no longer sola scriptura, it's sola experientia, where it's my experience alone. That's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing that determines truth. And, you know, I talked about a little bit ago where it's, you know, we're just trying to be nice. Now, I'm not then saying that we need to be mean. I'm not saying that we need to be mean-spirited. Right. I'm just saying if our only goal is being nice, so like you said, we need to love. Well, they've redefined love to just being nice all the time. That's the only goal, just to be nice. No, we need to be like Christ-like. We need to preach the gospel. And that is is we're not going to be heavy-handed with it. We're not going to be hitting people over the head with that. That's not what I'm saying. But we need to point people to truth. And I'll make an example. My parents pointed me to truth, but it always wasn't always with words. They did use words, but it wasn't always that way. They needed to first live that out. They needed to live that truth and point me to that truth. Which And what is that truth? It's a person. His name is Jesus, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So that's what's really important, that we need to be pointing people in that direction. But right now, with all of this, the gender and, and you know, I'm a tomboy, I think what we're seeing is we have the LGBTQ+. We're actually finding a lot of people who are not Christian. So we're, let's not, we're not even going to talk about that. We're, we're in the secular world. And I just read this article from someone who works for Disney. And he says, I'm gay and I don't support where Disney is going with this because he says parents should have rights to raise their kids. I mean, like, I, I'm just surprised that we have to say that. But obviously we have a party who does not believe in that, that parents should not have that right. Well, and, and to interrupt, when you hear the gay lesbian community anti-trans competitors. Yes. They're saying, wait a minute. We, this is a bridge too far. Yes, that's right. You can be... Don't lump us together. Right. Some are saying, we're not, I'm not part of the LGBT community because they have a point. There is no LGBT community. They are not in alignment. Yeah. I mean, when I lived as a gay man, even the L and the G weren't even together. Right, right. yeah. <laughs> I, I had, yes, I had maybe a token lesbian friend or two, but it was because they hung out with us, the gay men, because at that time we knew how to party and we had the quote unquote, you right. know, good drugs. Well, so, <laughs> <laughs> the good drugs. Yeah, yeah. so well, I was I was leading people to sin, but that's the only reason why I did not hang out with the lesbian community at all. So bad illustration when you're in Nigeria and you're being attacked by a a, a Muslim group of people. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're. Charismatic, Catholic, Baptist, Evangelical, so you join together yeah. because you're being attacked. We've got a metastasized version of that now where the LGBT community is saying, no, we're all one. And, and oh, by the way, let's pull in race. Right. So if you hate me, it's no different than racism. So now we've got this cauldron. And again, the, the angry white man that I'm classified as, I can't say anything. No. Because of all the above reasons. Right. But but back to your point, I, when Martina Navratilova spoke <laughs> into this and said, no, it's not fair for a biological man who becomes trans to mm-hmm. compete. She was vilified. Right. and As a lesbian athlete, yep, a who female was a pioneer, lesbian athlete. Who was a pioneer. Yes. And now she has to come back and do a mea culpa and then slide off into Apologize. oblivion. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a different day. And if, if we take these things into the local church, again, you and I— we talked on the way over here about people we won't name, obviously, that 
I want to say they've caved, but part of it, Christopher, is they don't know what they're doing. Accommodate. And, yeah, it's accommodating, but it's also it's it's poor education. Yeah. Because they don't understand the ramifications of being tolerant and kind and nice to use yes. your word and loving. Uh, our, our friend Rosario Butterfield says it's not loving to not call someone to repentance. Yes, loving your neighbor is calling them to repentance. Yeah, I mean, and that's pretty strong. It is. It is. You know, this article written by this gay Disney employee, he said, I'm not part, I don't agree with the Florida government, but he said, he had a really interesting point. He said, I fear now, because it sounded like he was in his 50s or something, he was an older guy, kind of, you know, like my age or whatever. And so it sounded like he was basically, he was older and he said, he fears that if today, if he was a boy... And he was struggling with his sexuality. If he was going to public schools today, you know what they would tell him? You're trans. Because you don't like sports. You you know, whatever. You're sensitive. You are all these things. And then he's basically saying all these kids who are gay or lesbian, not that kids are, but they're maybe struggling with their sexuality – what now schools are doing is they're not saying you are gay or lesbian. They're saying, Sally, you're a tomboy, so therefore you're actually a boy. And when you're telling that to a five-year-old Incredible. or a six-year-old or what even 10-year-old and you're continuing – and all the teachers are doing that and then they start calling you by a different pronoun or using a different pronoun and a name, is that going to affect our kids, our impressionable kids? Of course they are. So – I mean, what's the latest numbers now with 20%, you know, well, identifying as LGBTQ+, plus, which I bet if they actually broke it down, I bet that the LG are just probably the same numbers, maybe more. And that's only because we're talking about it more so the kids might be who, who well, do yeah, experience it. You, you can't look at social media or TikTok or any of the things that these kids traffic in information and not see a celebration of this, ergo, it's going to make me question my identity. Right. But also, I mean, see, five years ago, I think we could certainly say it's cool, it's hip to say that you are LGBTQ or whatever, but it's now more, and you were tying into this with the race, it's the whole perspective that if we see the world through the lens of oppression— so therefore, every person is either an oppressor or a victim. How? By their skin color. If that is the case, and then, furthermore, so it's not just that. It's not just how some denominations say, oh, this is a good framework to think about it. No, it's not that. It's the conclusion of this, which is, this is the conclusion, that if that is the case, either only oppressor or victim, then only victims should have a voice, and oppressors should just be quiet and listen to victims, well, if that's being fed to you daily from in public school and you're a Caucasian girl, you don't want to be viewed as the oppressor. You've done nothing wrong. However, if you then say, I'm queer, automatically by law now, the teacher places you in a special category, a protected class. And so therefore, you automatically just by one word, you go from being an oppressor to a victim and now someone who has authority and can speak. 
So that's this whole added layer that we have among kids. Why I believe this number of twenty percent that they're saying now of these, you know, twenty、mm、percent -hmm. of Gen Z kids now are identifying as LGBTQ plus, and the reason is because I think it's not just because it's cool; it is, but it's because that. Who wants to? Do, I mean, do you want to be an oppressor? I mean, you know, who, no one wants. You know, well, if you're a five-year-old, it's too late for me. <laughs> it's too late. But I'm an if you're a five-year-old, you know, a, a seven-year-old, <sighs> who wants to be that? But I can go from an oppressor class to a victim class simply by saying I'm queer. Now, if I say I'm gay, that has to show in the way that I live. But if I say I'm non-binary, I don't have to do anything different. I don't have to live different. I don't have to dress different. I don't have to do anything different. Okay. If I, if okay. I say my okay, say that again. I'm with you. Yep. But I'm thinking that's a jump for some folks. Yes. So just clarify that again. If if you say you're non-binary, it puts you in a neutral zone, so to speak. Not just a neutral zone, Michael. It actually puts you. Oh well.、Uh, protected. No, in a no protected one, no class. No one can、yeah. say and, anything. And let me let me define、yep. what I, because sometimes people are like what does non-binary、yes. mean? So th these are and just to be、it's、clear, it's the nomenclature.、Uh, this. Term non-binary. I did not know what it meant 20 years ago because there was no term non-binary back then. When I was not a Christian and I identified as gay,、mm -hmm. it was only gay or lesbian or bi.、Mm -hmm. We did not have queer was derogatory. Don't dare、yeah. call me queer. And, and even now, and, and cis wasn't is, even a function. I mean, it wasn't even talked about. It was、cis. not an identity.、Yeah. You know, there was no transgender. <laughs> there were drag queens. Which、yeah. drag queens actually are not the majority of them are not transgender. They're just men,、Dressing、very、up. effeminate men who really, in, you know, I don't know. They're very campy and they enjoy doing that. That's their thing. But they would not. A lot of them now. There's this confusion, but many of them would not identify as transgender. They would say they're drag queens. Interesting. But so non-binary is just one of the many terms, which means I reject the binary system. What binary system? The、X、male female binary system, or even the gay straight binary system.、Mm. So all of these binaries, it's basically it's just postmodernism. It's basically just putting a label to it and then saying it's it's almost making postmodernity an identity, essentially、mm. non-binary. But guess what? You don't have to. I mean, anyone, any of us could just say I'm non-binary. I mean, and I'm not suggesting that, Michael. But no, no. But a person, let's just say, an impressionable teenager. Could just say I'm non-binary, which actually we're seeing all these, you know, artists and actors. They're saying I use they/them now, but look at their life. Nothing's changed, other than maybe they shave their heads. But other than that, you know, they're nothing different. But that puts them in a protected class, so that they're now no longer an oppressor, but they're a victim, which makes gives them an authority. The subtlety of this, I mean, it's so nuanced. For especially a cisgender person, I'm happy as a man. Cindy's happy as a woman. We're happy as you know grandparents and parents. It's like, well, how do I parse this, Christopher? Yeah, I mean, it's realizing that God is sovereign over everything. He is the God of the universe, and that there is good news. That over all of this mess, which. And I'm so glad that I have the privilege to minister with my parents because my mom—I mean, just as I'm sure Cindy keeps you grounded—I'm not married yet, but I have my parents that I live with and I care for, and they keep me grounded because my mom has to remind me, you know, don't get pulled down by all this mess. And and I'm and it's not even the whole mess about 
the world. I'm just, I get easily aggravated when I see Christians. Oh, pastors, you and me both. You and me theologians both. I mean, that you, are you and I had these conversations on the phone. Yeah, and it's like, what in the world are you doing? And again, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of say that's what my earlier point was. I don't think they understand the ramifications right. of this veiled attempt to come off as nice and kind and loving and tolerant. And again, not to name names, but we have a, a mutual person we would talk about. This is no, they're leading more people astray yes. under the veil of the way they talk about the LGBTQ plus world. Yes. And because it's nuanced, it's, it's, you know, I often it's use ambiguity. Those, I often talk about, you know, walking on the knife edge of sin. I'll say, you know, the 30 somethings, not to be unkind, but they were more artful at how, you know, they could live in the world on the edge. Right. It's like, how close, close can I live to sin without sinning? Mm-hmm. And I dip over there and I sleep with my boyfriend, my girlfriend, I you know, do this or that or whatever. But, you know, I, I characteristics in, and we parse it so, so carefully. And what's happened consequentially when you introduce these ideas to young children, I mean, you know, Cindy and I, we talk about kids we've watched grow up that are our, our adult children's age. We had tomboys and we had, there was a set of twins that were dear friends of ours. One was a super tomboy, dressed like a tomboy, hat, baseball cap backwards, high top shoes that were unlaced like a basketball player. Her sister was girly girl, makeup, jewelry, uh, you know, dresses, her hair. They're both fine young Christian women today. One of them, neither one of them, you know, crossed the line. They st- they're both married, have kids. But had they been today, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure that young girl that was a tomboy would have found her way into a different sexual... And pushed in that direction by adults in schools. Yeah. So I think that's why there needs to be gospel clarity. I think that's in the midst of all this craziness, like my parents helped to keep me grounded. Like, don't lose focus of Jesus and the cross. We we are seeing some pushback from some of these things in the area of a bridge too far. And perhaps the Disney thing, perhaps the... It's unfortunate that people did not read the bill. We're a soundbite. Twitter culture with, you know, a, a little, you know, don't say gay or whatever, which is not what the bill was about. If anyone reads, it takes the time to read it. Don't let anybody indoctrinate my child from ages pre-kindergarten to third, yep, whatever. Grade. Three, three, I yep. mean, you yep. shouldn't be indoctrinating them. You should teach them basic critical thinking skills, reading, writing, you know, how to do a math problem, how to color, how to paint, yep. how to be artistic. But why would you force feed them information like this? And I appreciate, you know, the, the reference, the article you made about a, a gay Disney employee saying, listen, I don't want the state doing that. No. But if, again, the, what was, I mentioned last Sunday in, our, in my message, you know, what was once good is now evil, which was once evil is now good. <laughs> Isaiah 5. And there's just no way back, it seems. That said, it does seem like some of these cultural overreaches are starting to face some backlash. Yes. And you know as well as I do, it'll end up in the corporate money. You know, what what happens to those corporations will change. Anyway, I'm preaching instead of asking. So give us some help. You obviously don't have kids right now, but you work with schools and whatnot. What can a parent do who's got, maybe they don't have the ability to homeschool or private school or tutorial. They're stuck mm-hmm. with, maybe it's a single mom yep. and they got kids in a public school. How do you encourage them? Well, I would say we need to first realize that there is a battle. And it's just, it's not just a political battle. It's just not just a a battle with the schools, which it is. We need to realize that as well, that schools in general, public schools, 
have this false understanding that the school and the government are better at raising kids than parents are. So that's one thing. That's scary. It is. And I'm glad that actually schools are finally realizing or being honest about that and politicians are finally being honest about it because then we can vote them out. We focus on it, yeah. Um, but that's not even the main <sighs> battle. The main battle is it's a spiritual battle. I mean, this is what it all falls on. It's under – the main enemy is not even the gay community. I mean, the gay community is just deceived as the mm-hmm. world is deceived. Mm-hmm. The ultimate thing, it's a spiritual battle over our kids. So I would say with kids, if you have kids and you're listening, make sure that the main issue is not our kids' behaviors or their friends. That is important because the life – I mean, the goal is not about behavior management. The ultimate goal is knowing and following and submitting to Christ. Make that always the top ultimate goal with our kids. I would rather my kid fail out of school, but this son loves Jesus. I would rather my daughter not go to college and, I don't know, flip burgers at Chick-fil-A. That was, <laughs> you know, then, then her, you know, going off to an Ivy League school and is a complete atheist, not just atheists. These schools are not raising atheists. They are raising anti-Christian people. It's, it's an indoctrination. Completely I, I, anti-Christian. I mention this frequently, and I know people probably tire of it, but this isn't the college, you know, this isn't your father's Oldsmobile. No. I mean, no. The, it's changed. E- even prestigious send your, schools. Send your kids to a community college and have them stay at home and stay plugged into the church. Like, So it's a spiritual battle, which means our main goal is our kids from birth all the way till they're out of the home, follow Jesus. Nothing's more important. Everything else is secondary. Don't make, because parents, we can make secondary or tertiary issues the primary issue. You know, finish your homework, get a good grade. That's not a bad thing, but that's not more important than following Jesus. Make that the main thing. And, but also like, and I included this in my book, I had a whole chapter on the local church. We, so many times when we speak on sexuality and gender, especially as Christians, you know what we do? Or not we, but you, you and church. me, but, but what I'm hearing a lot of speakers do, they throw the bride of Christ under the bus. Mm. Oh, yeah. Well, that's systemic. That's been happening for I mean, two decades on a lot of issues. Yeah, we, we have centers yeah, of, of, yeah. of sexuality that is saying, giving all these stories that are what the church did very winsome, or, you know, or I'm sorry, not winsome, but very told in very creative ways. Yep. And, and it's all stories. Basically, you know, these books and curriculum is all stories, but it's all stories about how these individuals, and they're Christian too, they're so-called gay Christians, so-called, you know, uh, lesbian Christians, and they were just kicked out by their churches, treated so poorly. So therefore, they're the victims, and we just need to be less dogmatic. That's essentially well, what the message is. And the church is blamed. The church hurt them. They right. were, they, you know, and I'm like, well, maybe your sin brought guilt and shame, as did mine before I was a believer. And in my early Christian years, when I did things I knew I should not be doing, and I had the guilt and shame of the Word and the Spirit in my life, but don't get me started on the way the church is vilified for every problem in the world. But what they're doing, the problem is they're turning church discipline, and I'll have a side note, Not, I will agree that oftentimes church discipline isn't done Biblically. maybe in the most ideal way. Yeah. However, church discipline today, especially in these circles when it talks you know, on you know, these people that, who call themselves gay Christians, 
what they're doing, I believe, and I don't know the whole story, but it seems like they're calling church discipline violence. That's a good trigger word. Yeah. Let me get you to define some things. You and I've talked about this, but again, for folks that maybe haven't heard it or heard you, same-sex attraction vis-a-vis, I can be same-sex attracted to be a celibate gay, not act out on my sexuality, some of this terminology. Yeah. A lot, again, 10 years ago, you know, when, when I, maybe it was 15 years ago when you were president of Moody Bible Institute and I was just a student, yeah. all these terms were not, in the, I'm not even talking about the non-binary stuff. I'm talking about the same-sex attracted, gay Christian. I mean, that yeah, was not, used. no, yeah. not at all. And so now it is, that's the way to go. That's the most compassionate, nice ways that you have a person coming to your church while they have same-sex attractions. No, you are, you just are gay. I put on record, as I always do, I do not identify as gay. I don't identify as a gay Christian. That is a wrong identifying marker. No one should ever label themselves by their sin struggle. I mean, you know, right. as you say, right? You, you shouldn't identify I, as a... I, I'm a womanizer. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a womanizing a Christian. I mean, That's, I've, I've you know, been married to Cindy for 40, almost two years this year. And yeah, I mean, God made me a womanizer. Sorry, honey, I'm going to conquest all these, you know, consensual relationships that I could have had over the years. No, right. I made a commitment to one person for life. Amen. And, and, and that's, that's, that's not who you are. It's not that's my identity. Not, I'm not and, a womanizer. And also, yeah. you don't see that as being something good. So the issue with True. people who are actually saying that they're a gay Christian, they will say that the act is wrong, but then there's the other aspects of what they quote, call quote unquote, being gay are actually good. And they're even what they call sanctifiable. You can't sanctify sin. sin. You can't sanctify your sin nature. Your sin nature, the Bible says, Paul says, needs to be Put to death, but mortified. it's easier to uh, absolve myself if I say this is the way I'm made, yeah, and this is the way God made me, and God loves me, than to acknowledge maybe this is wrong, and maybe you know, self control and the Holy Spirit is a good thing when it comes to an attraction, even as a heterosexual male, to be tempted by things that would be you know pornographic or immoral or an affair. Those are a bridge too far. That's right. The temptation could still be very powerful. And you know, if you don't have guardrails, you can get in trouble real, right. real quickly. That said, why is that any different from, quote, same-sex attraction or mm-hmm. dysphoria? I mean... Right. So I, you know, just, I would not identify as a gay Christian, but I also don't identify as a straight Christian. I don't think those are correct categories. Mm-hmm. No modifier should be before my main identity in Christ. And, and we've talked about this before from a high level theologically, we're either in Christ or not. Yes. That's our primary identity. Yes. Amen. 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 But that doesn't mean then that I'm not open to getting married. So that's also why I don't use the word celibate because, again, 10 years ago, celibate kind of was the same thing, similar meaning as chastity and abstinence. But now celibacy has totally usurped the conversation when it comes to singleness. So celibacy is like kind of a Roman Catholic what you do, and it's a lifelong chosen mm-hmm. vocation. I don't commit to celibacy. Like, I'm not a priest. I'm not going to, you know, become a priest. I don't think that. But many people in the gay Christian community would say I'm a gay celibate Christian, meaning they could never marry, they think. Mm. 
they will never marry, and they just have to grit and bear it and be single for the rest of their life. That's why they have to be washed and waiting. Waiting for what? They, I, don't, I don't wait. I know Christ is here. He's victorious in my life now. That doesn't mean that I don't struggle and tempted, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I am living in victory now, and that gives me lots of joy. I'm not... So I have a few ministry assistants, and uh, one just shared me recently. She said, you know, when I share with people that I'm part of this ministry, our ministry, I, I always want to make it our ministry. It's not Good. my ministry. Amen. It's our ministry. And they, you know, they say what it's about. Yep. They say, oh, man, Christopher must have it so hard. Wow, I just really respect him. And I'm glad that they realize that this ministry is not easy but I don't think that's what they're talking about. They're talking about the life that I live, that I must have it so hard because I just got a grit and bear it. And I clarify, and people sometimes imply this. They won't say it right to me, but I tell them, I actually do not have it any harder than any other true Christian. Hmm. Jesus said in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, if anyone would come after me, he must, right? Not maybe not optional, must deny himself, pick up his cross, and Gospel Luke adds daily, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. So following Jesus should actually cost us everything. If it hasn't, we're following the wrong Jesus. Mm. I don't have it harder than anyone else. I'm living the life that Christ has called every Christian to, Mm. to live, which is Daily deny yourself. That's not easy. Daily pick up your cross. If your right hand causes you to sin, put it behind your back. Don't look at it. Put a glove on it. No, cut it off. Remove it. And that's not going to be easy. So, but that gives me joy. You know, that, that actually, it's when I do that and I am resisting my sin nature, I have the joy and hope of Christ. Where before I was living in the sin and that was not giving me true joy. When we give that message, it's a difficult message. And it's not actually, I think when we tell people, oh, you must have it really hard. You got to just grit and bear it. And you're just gay. That's just the way that isn't really giving people a lot of hope. But when we tell people you're a sinner, like everyone else, I know my journey is not that much different than yours, Michael. Well, and you know, I'm thinking two things. One, I'm, the, the other part of this story is, you know, Christ says that his load is easy. Amen. His burden is light. Yes. So when you walk that daily path of denial, it's, it's not as though you get calluses and you get That's accustomed right. to it, but you understand walking in Christ is a better life. Yes. The other thing, you know. Then uh, the burden and the shackles of sin. Uh, guilt and shame that don't go away. I deal with chronic pain. My friends know this. And whenever someone has a back issue or something, they wrench their back on the weekend doing something. They, I thought about you all week. I don't know how you do this. And I always tell them the same thing. It's not a competition or a comparison. Mm, your pain's your pain. Yes. And if your pain had you on the couch with ibuprofen and ice packs and a heating pad and you couldn't walk and you, you sneeze and you couldn't stand up because that happens to people and you're just immobilized in pain, your pain is your pain. And just because I have pain doesn't mitigate Yours to be easier. That's right. silly. It's not a competition or a comparison. And the human condition is such, I, I think this is part of the unfortunate teaching of the lack of theology in evangelical churches. Life is hard. Yeah. Life is tough. 
it's burdensome at times. Does that mean it's always, you know, difficult and grit and, you know, no, of grit course. Yeah, no. You know, I go back to, you know, two things are eternal, God's word and God's people. And through those, I find a more meaningful joy and fellowship and purpose. You know, I've lived long enough to have a lot of acquisition, been a lot of places, done a lot of things. I'd rather hang out with my friends <laughs> than anything else. Yeah. Because it's those relational dynamics of other people that have gone through all kinds of hardship and continue to persevere in Christ, that's more rich and meaningful than, you know, business class tickets to some exotic location. That's right. That's right. But you don't get there overnight. No. Well, one of my moms, she has a lot of favorite hymns, but one of them is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And she has the lyrics on her bathroom mirror. So in the morning, you know, as ladies get ready and brush yeah. your teeth and she's looking at that because it needs to be focused. And, 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 and the reason why I say that is because when we are with brothers and sisters in Christ, that is what true fellowship is. Not just kind of hanging out, talking about the weather and stuff. It's actually through our fellowship, redirecting our gaze from the world to Jesus because we are the body of Christ. And that's what... Yes, it's not easy following Jesus, but it's worth it because it gives us joy that I wouldn't have because through the difficulties of life, which will come, it can pull us down. But even though difficulties come, when we are in Christ and daily denying ourselves, and we are in community, so this is kind of the point that I was trying to make you know, before, that a lot of these organizations and speakers, when they speak, they're throwing the church under the bus. Woe be me if I'm doing that. I want to actually lift up Christ and the bride of Christ because I think that hasn't been done, especially on this. I find very people, actually, Rosaria Butterfield, a good friend of mine, and she's been on your podcast, she just, not even through her words, just through her life challenged me on that because sometimes when it comes to these issues and organizations on sexuality, it's basically these parachurch organizations that do all the heavy lifting and they say, you've got a problem, send them to me. You've got a person dealing with this, send them to me. That's not the right framework for a parachurch. All parachurch organizations should be saying, pointing people to the bride of Christ. We should be parachurch. Alongside. Yes. Yeah. and But we're becoming more important or separate. And our hope, my parents and I, is to come alongside the church, equip the church to do what God has called the Bride of Christ to do. Not throw the Bride of Christ under the the bus, but actually say this is the only institution that God has created that is going to shake the gates of hell and prevail. Think about that. That's amazing. Well, and if you go back to the first century, Corinth would be an example of one of the most messed up churches on the planet. I call it the you do you church, right? (laughs) You do you. (laughs) Whenever I reference, I say, when you see Corinthians, always think corrective. Mm. First corrective and second corrective, because they're doing everything possibly wrong. And you're right, it's the bride of Christ. And that's where when, as a pastor for most of the 40 years I've been doing this, I take great umbrage when people throw the church under the bus, because I'm like, wait a minute, this is the bride of Christ. We're a bunch of sinners. Yep. Get in line. Yep. If you want to help us do better, come on and help us do better. But don't just vilify. I mean, it's so common today. You know, I've left the church, but I haven't left Jesus type of stuff. You know, I'm like, uh, I think he died for his church. So, and you can't love Jesus without loving 
the body of Christ. You can't love Christ without loving the body of Christ. But that's what we find a lot of these young, you know, millennials and I guess, I mean, that's young millennials are no longer young, but Gen Z yeah. where they're, you know, oh, like you say, you know, I love Jesus, but you know, I don't love the church. Well, and, and the issues have changed. I mean, when I was their age, there were different issues in, in the culture and the country. It was uh, the sanctity of life. It was marriage. Those issues are gone. Another new issue, social justice is more important. CRT is more important. Black Lives Matter is more important. All these things have taken its place. And I have great empathy for them in the context in which they grew up, but they don't know their history in no small part because we didn't teach it. Right. In a larger part, they don't own it. Yeah. And one of the challenges is for each person to own their faith, not their parents' faith. Right. Their own. You know, you stand on their shoulders, perhaps, but you have to own your own faith. Christopher, you on your newest book forthcoming is. Well, it's actually not a book. It's so you were talking about something for parents, uh, like what are some words for parents? My book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, I wrote for adults, for parents, for young adults, for kids in college, maybe, uh, you know, some seniors in high school. But, you know, in the two years that it's been out, it was actually named 2020 Book of the Year for Social Issues by right. Outreach Magazine. Praise God. But it's, there's really nothing, very little for high school. There's some on, you know, abstinence, real important, but that's God's no. What is God's yes? So I'm right now developing Holy Sexuality and the Gospel into a video curriculum, and it's going to be a video curriculum for families. Nice. It's getting to this whole thing about who should have the primary responsibility to teach sex and sexuality to our kids. I mean, this is what the whole law in Florida is about. It's not about don't say gay. It's about should parents be the ones that have the responsibility or not? That's what that law is really about. And one party is saying no. The other one is saying yes. I'm on the side of saying yes, to be clear. And when are we going to have this? So I wish it was last year, <laughs> but I'm working on it. And hopefully, it'll be coming out in the fall. Okay. So my website mystery is just ChristopherYuan.com. That's my ministry website. But this curriculum is going to be on another website. And it's called the website is HolySexuality.com. So if you're listening, you can go there. You can uh, right now it's just a landing page. You just put your name, your email. So when it comes out in the fall, you'll get information. You know, information. And we'll have all that on the show notes, so you don't have to worry about copying it down. Christopher Yuan, thanks for your friendship. Thanks for your ministry. I pray for you often. Thank you. um, So grateful for you. Love your mom and dad, and so glad that you could stop by the studio. Thank you for having me on. Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonomorphic, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.